You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning. How's everybody doing? We're good. You excited? How about worship this morning? Pretty cool. Wasn't it? That was good, man. That was good. God's here. God is faithful uh, to do everything He promises. And one of the things He's promised is that we're two or more gather in His name for His purposes. Uh, he's there. And so He's here this morning. Um, and I'm excited about that. Uh, before we jump into the word, I do want to celebrate just a couple of things with you. One of those things is that this today, this Sunday, is the sixth anniversary of our first Sunday service. So I um, thought that was pretty cool. Wanted to let you know about that. And uh, it's, uh, it's actually uh, just amazing to look back and see what God's done over the last six years and what we've gotten to be a part of. And so just very thankful for that and thankful for what Jesus is doing in our hearts. And, you know, God has to move in us before he moves through us. And so I'm just thankful for what God's doing um, in us. And so uh, that's cool. The other thing is last Sunday night, we had an interest meeting over in the Vidalia Lines area uh, for people who uh, are interested in helping us with that movement uh, over there. And the cool thing about it was combined, we had about 98 people who showed up for that. We had uh, um, about 65 adults from uh, Vidalia and Lions, we had about 20 children, and then there were about 13 who went over to help with that. So it was an awesome, awesome meeting. And so again, something to celebrate, something to be thankful for is the work that God is preparing to do over in that area. And so we're excited about that. We're gonna test their uh, true colors tonight and see if they come out again with the Super Bowl tonight. So uh, we'll see how serious they are. Um, But anyway, uh, I am excited about today. We're starting a new series called He Is. A lot of the Gospel of John is where Jesus revealing who he is. John wrote it so that we can understand the person of Jesus. And so as we look at a lot of the, the, the text, what we find is Jesus making statements like, I am, Uh, the light of the world, which we'll look at today. Jesus making statements like, I am living water. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. And so Jesus is revealing himself. And so as we look at this, we can come to know Jesus as um, he is. And the way that we should know him is how he actually is. We come to him in that way um, and and, in truth, right, as to what he is actually like. And so we want to be looking at that over the next few weeks as we continue to go through the gospel of John. Um, I'll be honest with you, I don't know exactly what God's uh, doing, maybe it's with me, but I believe it's for us as a church. Um, but last service, I, I went through John chapter nine and I felt like exactly, we did exactly what we we're supposed to do. Um, I wanna ask you to turn to John chapter eight right now. Um, I just feel like uh, re- we need to go through some of this before we get into nine. Um, and, and I really believe today that God wants to speak to our hearts and uh, uh, push us out of our comfort area, maybe. I know he's pushing me out of mine. Um, And, you know, one of the things I see in our church is that uh, God, I believe, is preparing us and preparing our hearts for something that he's about to do. God is getting us ready. And the last few weeks have been challenging. They've been challenging for me. Um, I know for some of you, they've been challenging. But but I know that everything that God does for us um, is for our good and for his glory. And so today, my prayer is that we would be challenged, but we'd also be encouraged, um, that we would be uh, equipped to carry this great message, this good news um, as heralds, um, evangelists to the world, and that uh, people would be able to see who he is by our, not only our words, but how we live our lives. 
And so let's go to John chapter eight. I do want to throw this out. We're going to read the first 12 verses and then I want us to flip over to John nine. We're going to read the first 12 verses there. Before we get in, some of your Bibles will um, talk about how uh, John one through 11 was not in the original manuscripts. Um, one of the things that scholars agree on is that this event took place. Now, I know for 95% of you, this means nothing. And you're like, just read the scripture. But for nerds like me, that like to read commentaries and things like that, I wanna go through this. But they, they, they realized that this was an actual event that took place. For most people, what this is um, disagreed upon or debated as to where the placement would be. But it fits as a great illustration of what Jesus teaches us in the following verses. That's why it's included in most translations. That's why people teach it today. Um, there's no debate over this, whether this happened, but there is question of placement. Disclaimer, done, all right? Let's look at John chapter eight, verse one. Really begins in 753, but it's okay. Um, then each went to his own home. This is after the Feast of Booths. Uh, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. The woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Chapter nine, Jesus has had an encounter uh, in the rest of John eight with the Pharisees who are the religious uh, leaders of the Jewish people. Um, they try to stone him in verses 58 and 59. Um, he slips away from them and leaves the temple grounds. And we pick up in John 9, 1, where he says, it says this, as he went along, so after he leaves, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Take away from that is if you're gonna spit, make mud and put it on somebody's eyes, you better be able to deliver the goods, right? <laughs> if not, like game over. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Well, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time that we can open your word.
God, I thank you for each person here, each heart, each soul that's represented. God, they're not a number, they're a name, and you know their name, and you know their heart, and you know every hair on their head. I pray, God, that you would speak to them, speak to me as we dive into your living word. Let it be convicting, let it be challenging, let it be encouraging, let it equip, let it send us forth in this mission you've called us to. Let us walk out of darkness, Lord, and, and walk in light. Let us follow you. Let us accept your invitation and the challenge to come after you. And let us lay down our lives and pursue you with everything that we have. God, whatever it is you're preparing us for, I thank you that we get to be a part of it. Shape us and mold us. Shape our dreams, shape our hopes, shape our longings so that they become your dreams, your hope, your longings for this world. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, see how, see how uh, much you pay attention to detail, but anybody notice anything different this week than last week? The beard, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saved it off. Uh, here's why. There's a little story that goes with it. Uh, we were in Vidalia last week, and we were watching a, a video that we had shot the week before. And, uh, and, and when I looked at the video and I saw me with a beard, I just, I, I said, I don't really know if I like that, right? And so Monday morning, I got up and I started trimming, and then I just went a little more and just went a little more and just went a little more until finally I just shaved the whole thing off. And then I looked in the mirror and I went, I'm not sure that I really like that, you know? <laughs> And then I realized, like, I'm stuck with this, with this mug. I'm just stuck with what I've got here, right? There's nothing. I can't hide it. I can't cover it. There's not much I can do with it. And, and so I realized I was stuck with it. Today I was sharing that story uh, with, with uh, the prayer team, and, and one of them said, well, you know, I guess that's one good thing about getting older is your eyesight gets worse, and when you look in the mirror, you don't see yourself as clearly. And I was like, I guess, hey, there's a, she's definitely a glass half full kind of person, right? And so... I was thinking about that and just thinking about today and thinking about this message and thinking about how we're talking about spiritual sight. And, and you know, the thing about it is when something goes wrong with our sight, we, we, we perceive it, we know. If, if we were to cut the lights out completely right now, there'd be no, no doubt that we were in the dark. No one would go, something different, right? I mean, we would know that it's dark and, and nobody would question that. The, the challenge comes in when we begin to look and ask ourselves, am I walking in spiritual darkness? What does it mean for me to, to walk in spiritual darkness? What does it mean for me to even to be spiritually blind? Okay, I think there's probably at least three groups of people here today. One group is maybe you're in a place where you're walking in the light. Maybe you are following Christ and you're walking in the light as he promises in John 8, 12. Maybe you're in a place today where you have walked and you've seen the light. The light has illuminated your heart. You've come to faith in Christ, but all of us tend to have blind spots in our lives, dark spots that Jesus is still working on. Every one of us in here today has those areas. Some of you have veered off the path and are in some sort of darkness right now that God is calling you back to, um, to his light. He's, 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 he's just asking you, would you not just come back to the light, right? And, and, and the, then there's the others of us who are in a place where we're spiritually blind. And what I mean by that is that we've never had our hearts illuminated to the reality of who Jesus is. Much like the Pharisees we read about in this text, much like uh, you see throughout the gospels, the Pharisees who um, they claim to see, they claim to have sight, they claim to have knowledge of God, and yet they couldn't recognize God when he stood in front of them. Their hearts were hardened towards that. Today, if you're in one of those three places, and we're all in one of those three, this is the thing I would say to you, I'm praying that if you are spiritually blind, 
that for the first time today, God would illuminate your heart and you would see clearly who he is. If you are in a place where um, you've got some darkness in your life, uh, that, that, that God would illuminate that and we would begin to follow uh, him and walk, the illuminating blind spots and places and things that are robbing us of life and robbing us of being able to pursue God with everything that we have, robbing us of the fullness of what it means to walk in life with Christ. Um, if you're in a place where uh, you, you're, you're following, man, maybe you're in a place, there's a sweet spot right now, then I hope you hear this as a warning not to turn off into the darkness, not to look left or right, but to continue to fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith so that you can w- walk with him and follow him. And I want you, wherever you're in spot one, two, or three, wherever you're at, I want you to hear what I'm gonna tell you today in love because you have a God who loves you so much that he refuses to let you stay the same. You have a God who loves you so much that he refuses to just, just not challenge and not push and not bring you closer to him. You have a God who has such a great purpose for you to spread his glory around the world that, that, that he won't let us settle and just become stagnant, but he continues to move and push and prod us by his spirit to become more like himself. And so I want you to hear that today. As we look at the woman in John chapter eight, It's a remarkable story. And the thing about it is the Jews are not worried about upholding the law. What they're trying to do is trap Jesus in in a contradiction. They're trying to get Jesus to do something that they can accuse him with. But Jesus is pretty smart, right? I mean, he's a fairly sharp guy um, and he he knows what they're doing. He, He figures this out. And so when they begin to accuse this lady, the Greek actually means that they caught her in the act. There was no doubt that she was guilty. There was no doubt that she was in sin. And when they bring her in front of Jesus, they're expecting him to have to say, yes, she should be stoned. If he did that, then what that does is it makes Jesus look like he's not the gracious person that he had been proclaiming to be. It's it makes him look like he's not uh, this, this loving person, this, this loving God who he has made claims to be. But if he tells them, um, listen, you don't have to stone her, then the thing that he does at that point is he no longer upholds what they considered the law. And so he would be guilty of that. And so what I want you to see is they're trying to pin him into this place. And Jesus realizes this. And Jesus, is, is, as he's um, processing this, as he's thinking through this, he looks at him and he says, I tell you what, since we got to stone this lady, let's do this. Let's let the one who is without sin throw the first stone. Can you see their faces? It's like, oh, dang, right? And, and, and Jesus challenges them. And the Bible says, and people debate what Jesus is writing in the ground. He could have been playing tic-tac-toe. It really doesn't matter. But the thing I would tell you is that as he's doing that, they begin to leave because what they realize is that they were as guilty as she is of sin, that they did not uphold their end of the bargain with God either. And see, here's what's cool. And I want you to hear this because I know this is for somebody here today. I think it's for all of you here today. If you can grab hold of this, it changes your life. It changes your perspective of God. And it gives you a reason to sing. It gives you a reason to worship. It gives you a reason to get up in the morning. It gives you a reason to live. The one person in this scene who had the power to condemn, the right to condemn, and the right to judge looked at her and said, where are those who condemn you? She said, no one, no, no one. And Jesus says, then go and sin no more. 
the one person who had the right to condemn, the one person who was innocent and could have cast the first stone. Rather than casting stone and bringing judgment and bringing condemnation, he went to a cross and he died a bloody, excruciating death and he took the wrath of God upon himself so that you and I would never have to go through that judgment. And so if you're whoever you are today, who's walking in this darkness of condemnation, there's your light. Begin to follow the one who made a way for you to come into the light. Begin to follow the one who made a way for you to leave the darkness. See, when we look at John chapter eight, the whole thing is about spiritual darkness. When Jesus says, I am the light, he's saying, I'm the light that illuminates the spiritual darkness, the moral darkness of the world. He's specifically talking about this type of sin, sin, moral sin. It's an immorality that he's addressing. And what he tells us is if you will follow me, I can give you freedom from moral darkness. I can illuminate your heart in such a way that you can be set free from that. In fact, I want you to look over in John chapter eight, verse 31. Jesus is arguing with the Jews. He tells them a couple of times, you're gonna die in your sin. No wonder that they didn't like him, right? In verse 31, he says, it says, to the Jews who had believed him, some of them had begun to come to faith, even though it's kind of a shallow faith. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, here's the reality for most Christians in here today. You have mentally assented to these verses, but experientially, most of your life has been void of this verse. You've come to a place where you would say, yes, the truth sets me free. And we think about that as just forgiveness of sins. I mean, that's great, that's awesome, but that's not the whole point. See, we've gotta get to a place where we realize one thing. We realize that what we have been saved for is as important as what we have been saved from. And so God says, not only am I forgiving your sins, but I've given you a purpose and I'm gonna free you. I'm gonna set you free from the moral darkness that holds you back. I'm gonna set you free from the moral darkness, the lust, the temptations, the sexual sin. I'm gonna set you free from the pornography. I'm gonna set you free from the addiction. I'm gonna set you free from the anger. Hello, and I'm gonna set you free from all of these things by the work that I'm gonna do. I'm gonna bring you out of this moral darkness and into the light. And he says, and this is how that's gonna happen. You're gonna get a clear revelation of me and who I am and you're gonna to begin to follow me because he who follows me will not walk in darkness. And he says, if you hold to my truth, what is his truth? What he's been saying the whole time, the gospel. If you hold to my teachings, that you've been separated from God, but I've come to give you life. I've come to be the bridge between you and God. I've come so that you could have life. The thief, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you could have life and have it abundantly. He said, if you'll hold to my teachings about who I've said you are, the whole Bible teaches us that once we come to faith in Christ, we're no longer sinners, we become saints. The Bible teaches us that even if we were an adulterer, if we come to Christ, God cleans us up and he gives us this right standing with himself. If we've been addicted, he says, listen, I'll clean you up. I'll give you right standing with myself because God God no longer sees you through the lens that you've created. He gives you a new lens that allows you to be seen by him through Christ. 
And so I want you to see this. How do we walk in freedom? Because everybody in here has some sin, some moral darkness that tends to creep up on you. For some of us, it's pornography. For some of us, it might be gossip. For some of us, it might be lying. For some of us, it might be a trap of money and performance. Many of us, it's achievement and what we can gain and what we can do. And all of our hopes are propped up on those things. And we need to come to this place of realizing that we can, one, walk in truth and walk in freedom. But how do we do that? We do exactly what Jesus said. Hold to my teachings. So that when everything around you begins to tell you something different, you go back to his word. When everything around you tells you that it's okay to cheat on your taxes, hello tax season, you go back to his word and go, no, I'll be better off if I don't. When, when everything in you tells you to do, just take a little shortcut at work, nobody will know, something in here says, you're my child, don't do that. When you're tempted to click on the, 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 the computer, you're tempted to go to something that's not there. You remember you're a son of God, a son of the king who loves you. You don't have to find acceptance through some make-believe relationship on a computer screen. You found acceptance through Jesus Christ. And when you begin to see the glory of that relationship, what begins to happen is all of these things that were so attractive begins to fade and they begin to go away. And you begin to see that they lose their shine because the glory and the brilliance of God begins to shine so much brighter in your life and we begin to see and we begin to walk and Jesus says I am the light of the world a revelation of me a walking after me will begin to illuminate your path you begin to see things clearly those things that promise life listen that, that they won't be so enticing anymore and it is a process and it is a path and we all battle it every day and yet the further we walk the more we stay in the light the more we hold to his teaching the more we begin to see the truth and what things really are. See, here's the reality, people. Listen, 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 listen. You will never turn away from the bitterness of sin until you have tasted the goodness of God. But once you've tasted the goodness of God, everything else begins to taste bitter. It's just not as good. I'm not telling you become perfect. But what I'm telling you is that when you begin to go back into that moral darkness, what begins to happen in you is there's something that says this just isn't nearly as good. This isn't as fulfilling. And so that no relationship, nothing that we can put in our body, nothing that we can adorn ourselves with. I don't know why I said adorn. I should have just said put on, right? But nothing. Nothing can make us feel what we feel when we are in Christ. Once the darkness has been illuminated and we've tasted that the Lord is good, the Bible says, crave pure spiritual milk. Go after Jesus, go after him hard, run hard and fast after him and continue to drink deeply and be nourished in your relationship with him and in life and find the fullness of life. We hold to his teachings, we hold to the truth. See, many of us can't live out the gospel because we simply can't accept what it says. That one, we were sinners. And in fact, if left to ourselves, we're still sinners, not perfect. But two, that Jesus made a way for us to come to God and that through him, he's given us righteousness. If we could see ourselves that way, we could begin to live that way. 
If we could see ourselves that way and realize that because we've been made pure and whole on the inside, because God's given us righteousness and then he gave us his spirit, that we have a power in us that's greater in us than what's in the world, then we can come to a place of living in victory and walking in freedom and glorifying God and fulfilling his purpose, no longer held back by by the darkness of this world, no longer held back by the shackles of sin, no longer bound and miserable by the things that trip us up, but able to see and walk clearly because Jesus gave himself and gave his spirit to illuminate our path. And he gives us a way of doing that. In John chapter eight, Jesus is really dealing with a lot of this uh, moral darkness. In John chapter nine, we see Jesus come to this place where he, he begins to deal with darkness, yes, but a little bit different. John chapter nine, you need to see John chapter nine through the lens of of, of, uh, conversion, through the lens of salvation, because the blind man represents the blindness of humanity to who God is. Um, As you look at it, uh, Jesus has come to lost humanity. He's come to this blind man and he heals him so that he can see. And then the blind man begins to give him glory and he begins to spread the word of God. He begins to tell about the power of God, even in the face of great persecution and criticism, he's spreading it. And we see that that is the problem process, the nature of conversion. It's the process of salvation that when we're lost and blind and stumbling through the world, we have a God who is so good, a God who is so great that he comes to us and he illuminates our heart. And we recognize that something's wrong. We recognize that I've been walking in darkness. We recognize that everything that promised to glitter wasn't, or that glittered wasn't gold. We realize that something's off. Then we recognize that we've been separated from God, the source of this light. And then we realize that we need somebody to rescue us. And that's when we realize that God has sent a rescuer in Jesus and he's able to bring us out of this spiritual darkness into a place where we no longer grovel along the ground in the dark trying to find crumbs in the carpet to live off of but we come to a place where we're able to walk in spiritual wholeness we come to a place where we're able to feast at the table that Jesus has set for us we come to a place where we're no longer spiritually empty but we walk in the light and we walk in the fullness of who he is and so we're able to experience that and that's what this whole chapter is about My question to you now is, are you spiritually blind? Are there blind spots that you're ignoring, just dark areas of your life? Are you walking in the light? My my, my question to you, and because this is what I, I truly believe and what I see every week is that the greatest challenge to the church today in the South, in this cultural um, church uh, in the South, right? Is spiritual blindness. See, these Pharisees had so much tradition. They had so much uh, stuff that that they did, that they thought gave them merit, that they thought made them right with God. And, And they just went through their traditions, but they didn't know God. And what I see so much in our cultures is is, that we just go through the traditions. We just walk in the church. We walk out of the church. We go through the motions, but there's still no relationship with God. And my challenge to you today is this, to ask the question, has my heart been spiritually illuminated? Have I I truly, do I know God? Have I I got a relationship with God? Am I walking after Christ? Am I following him? Or did I just put a Christian label on a life that still does its own thing and follows its own way? Because that's what so many people do. But see, it's not a piece of us that gets patched in that makes us a Christian, it's a whole life committed to following Jesus. And that's what we see in this, is that when this man realizes, when Jesus illuminates him, his heart 
He opens his eyes. He gives him physical eyes that really are symbolic of the spiritual eyes that God gives us to see. He comes to a place of faith. Jesus works in his heart, and then he begins to follow. Many times we read the scripture, we read the text backwards. What we think it does is if we will do the word, then what will happen is um, we can come to God. And God says, no, 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 no. By faith, you come to me, and then I'll enable you to do the word. But we get that so backwards. We get it so backwards. See, our being has to come before our doing. Wherever our being is, wherever that rest is who, where our longing is gonna come from. And so we have to come to this place of recognizing this. Ask yourself this question, am I spiritually blind? Or am I walking in the light? I'm gonna ask you some questions. We don't have long. Um, in fact, there's no way I'll get through everything. But I wanna ask you some questions. And they're gonna be challenging. But I want you to ask yourself, is this true of my life? Am I spiritually blind or am I walking in the light? Do I know Christ? Do I have a relationship with God? Has the spirit done a work in me through his grace and through faith that's transformed my life? Or am I just walking in darkness? The first one is this, is the question that you can ask yourselves and that I've asked myself this week is where are my desires? Where do my desires rest? It specifically ask this question, are my desires centered around God's word? Because see, escaping this moral darkness and living a life that glorifies God, escaping this spiritual darkness, this emptiness, this void, this void that uh, is, is, is uh, an absence of God in our life, it comes when we begin to see. My question is, where are your desires? Because see, these are indicators of whether or not we see. These are indicators of where our heart rests. Is your desire for the mission? Does your life center on the mission of God to make his name famous, to spread his glory throughout the world, to go to all nations and that all nations would proclaim his glory? Does your life center on that? How about evangelism? We see a couple of things in here with Jesus. Jesus, one, he comes and when he goes to this blind man, he says, listen, we've got to do the work of God while it's still light. He said, there's a darkness that's coming. There, Jesus was urgent to reach the lost. Is there an urgency in your heart to reach the lost? Another thing we see is that when he gets kicked out of the synagogue for saying that Jesus is uh, the Christ, is for saying that he is the prophet, that he was the one who healed him, he gets kicked out, Jesus goes to him. So what we see if you put those two things together is you see an urgency to go and reach those who are lost, those who have been rejected, those who have been uh, cast out far from God, who've maybe made their own decisions to walk far from God, that Jesus' heart was, that there was an urgency to go and get them. Is that our heart? Do we have a heart that's on mission for God to go and reach the lost? The second one would be serving. See, one thing, you can't love Jesus more and care about people's souls less, right? The second thing I would tell you is that with serving, like you can't love Jesus more and care about the needs of other people less. So we see all throughout the gospels, his, his compassion for people, his love for people. But if we come to a place where we truly care so that our life is a life of serving, that's devoted to doing God's will in the community, in the church. And the one we get the most pushback on is serving in the church. And people don't understand why they should serve in the church. But I will tell you this, one of the reasons that we should serve in the church is because the church, the local church is the hope of the world. 
It is God's redeeming agent that God desires to use to, to change the world, to bring everybody to a place of giving him glory. It's also because he's given you gifts. If you're a Christian, you come to faith, the Holy Spirit resides in you and he's given you gifts to be used in his body, the believers. And to make his body, his bride more beautiful. And see church, here's the thing. We have been given an incredible opportunity, an incredible opportunity to bring so much glory to God to be a part of transforming a community along with other churches to transform a community. My challenge to you is that we do our part, but the challenge then goes a little smaller to each person doing their part. Have you stepped up and said yes to that? The third one is this, and this gets, this got tense at nine, baby, right here. The third one is generosity. Like you have a heart to give. Is, is there, is there, Something in you that wants to give to others, that wants to give to the church, that wants to support the vision. Because one of the reasons we would give is because we believe in the vision of the local church, what Jesus said is going to redeem the world. We come to a place where our hearts are generous. And, and, and people get pushed back. But see, God loves you so much that he asks us to give. He calls us to be generous. One, because he gave and we need to become like Christ. He gave himself. And two, because he knows it's the number one competitor for our heart. That's why Jesus taught so much about money. He knew materialism would be the one thing that would take us and take us off the path, take us out of the light. His love and concern and care for the world so much that it begins to rob us of the life that Jesus wants us to have. And God calls us to give, he calls us to be generous. It's an indicator of our heart, of where our heart is, where our treasure is, there's our heart also. The fourth one's community. It's another indicator. Like, do you have a desire for community, a desire to walk with people who are going the same direction you are or not? Because here's the thing. I'll be, I'll be very honest with you. For me, community is not like natural for me. Like by nature, I'm a recluse. Anybody else a recluse in here? Like you could just, yeah, yeah. I told nine o'clock this may be inappropriate. I hope not. But I told them like that show, Naked and Afraid, like if they would just put me out there, it'd be called Naked and Content, right? Because I'd just be like, I'd just be fine. It just wouldn't bother me to be out there. I'd be like, it's cool, man. Me and a coconut, we got this going on. It's just fine. I don't, I just, I'm just good like that. But even for me, the thing that, that, that I realize is I crave community with my connect group. They encourage me. They equip me. They, 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 uh, they, they care for me. They are part of doing this mission together. And so we need to see that. We need to walk in community with other people. It's important. Do you have a desire for that? Are you walking in the light? Are you spiritually blind? Has your heart been illuminated to these things? How about this one? Where are your affections? Do you have a hunger for the word? Do you have a hunger for God's word? Is there something in you that stirred when you read the Bible? How about prayer? Is prayer just a ritual you go, to, go through to try to gain merit with God? Or is it a way that you connect with God? See, there's a big difference. God wants more for you than just going through a ritual to try to gain merit. He wants to connect with you. How about worship? Worship in here, yes, but just how our lives are devoted to God. How is that working? How are we doing with that? Are we walking out what we're talking with people? 
what we claim, the label that we're wearing, are we living that out? And are your affections stirred by all those things, by God's word, by prayer, by worship? Are you spiritually blind or have you come into the light where you see? Because see, most of the times our motivation for the word and for prayer, for worship, for doing all of that stuff, our motivation is typically guilt, not grace. It's not mercy, it's merit. And that's why many times it becomes stifling rather than life-giving. God wants more. He wants more for you. I don't have time to hit all of these. I don't have time to get into detail with them. But the question remains the same. Are you spiritually blind or have you seen? Do you see the goodness of God? Have you come to a place where your faith, your faith is even important? Statistically about 15% of the people in our county say that their faith is important to them in a, in a great way, right? Is greatly important. Are you in that 15%? Does it matter? Because see, this is more than just a ticket to heaven. This is a call to your life. My last question, who or what are you depending on to make you right with God? There's something inside of us that typically we come to and we say, you know what? I can recognize there's a distance between me and God. There's a distance between us. But what are you doing to try to bridge that distance? See, many people are going after achievement. They're going after uh, these things that they can prop themselves up on. If I were to say it in, in just in a nutshell, it's trying to stack up enough good chips to somehow impress God so that we can be okay with Him. But the reality of it is, guys, that you can't stack up enough good to be like God. I can't stack up enough good to make myself worthy and right before him. That's impossible. And yet we, like the Pharisees that we read about in here, we, we constantly are trying to find a way to make ourselves okay with God. And, and we're fighting and striving and doing all of these things. And yet all of our doing will not accomplish what we're after. The only way that we are able to come to a place of right standing with God is when our hearts are illuminated. We realize who Jesus is. And we do like this blind man who, or this man who was blind in verse 38 of John chapter nine. It says, the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. The word for worship actually means he prostrated himself before God. He laid himself down before Jesus and he just worshiped. He realized that all of the effort of the Pharisees, all the effort of religious people, that it could not possibly make him right with God. And so he worshiped the one who could. The question is, what are you depending on? Have you just put your trust in God? Have you just trusted in his grace? Because here's the challenging thing. Here's the thing that happens with us. We think that if it's that easy, it couldn't be true. That I just believe, that I just accept his grace, his unmerited favor, his, his uh, for, forgiveness, right? Through Christ. Really? All I do is accept it? Absolutely. Because God's done all the work. And I would call this the grace objection, right? 
Because this is what we say. If I were to just believe, then doesn't that mean I can go out and do whatever I want to? My answer to that would be yes. You can go out and you can do whatever you want to. But what ends up happening is God, through his spirit that comes in you, begins to change you. So what you want to do becomes what God wants you to do. And so he begins to work that out of us rather than us working it in. But we get that backwards. We get that lens backwards. And it stifles. It doesn't give life. See, grace is not just this crutch that we would limp through life on. It's not necessary to walk in condemnation to fulfill the, the gospel and the great commission. What we have to do is to realize that grace is a catalyst for us to become like Christ. Grace is a catalyst to fulfill the commission. It's not, listen, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Because God's grace becomes the motivation and the catalyst in our lives to move us and propel us on. It becomes the motivation because we realize I could have never done this on my own. I could have never made myself right with God. And so we begin to worship him in our life. Our life devotion becomes worship of him and we begin to walk a different way. It's also a catalyst because when he cleans us up and he makes us right in his sight, he gives us his spirit. His spirit indwells us and the Spirit of God begins to move us in a different direction and we begin to follow. It doesn't mean that, that everything's just all you peaches and cream. It doesn't mean that there's no struggle inside. When we went to Minneapolis and we went to all these different types of restaurants and we went to a mosque, we went to a Hindu temple, we went to all these different things. And for three days, we ate all these different foods from all these different uh, um, countries and, and, uh, and, and ethnic groups. And, and as we were eating it, about the second day, I had like an internal, like international conflict going on in my my stomach it was it was crazy like I was like oh my gosh I felt like I was dying and, and here's the thing when the spirit of God comes into us this is why that's what happened we begin to have this this internal conflict this conflict that says you know what my flesh still wants to pull me this way but the spirit of God says go this way and we begin to go why because we've tasted that the Lord is good and we know that what this offers over here isn't nearly God gives us. All that glitters isn't gold. We see the grass on the other side and think that somehow that's going to fulfill. And there's only one who fulfills, and that's Jesus. Are you spiritually blind or have you come into a realization of who he is? Have you become a disciple, one who follows? See, that's the key. Are you following? Not, not, not you call yourself a Christian. Are you following? Have you come to this place where the illumination of Christ has made you a follower of Him? What I don't want you to hear is that we somehow work our way into salvation. It's faith by grace, right? It's faith in Jesus alone. But that faith works in us to work through us. So that these things begin to stir our desires, they stir our affections. Our worship is because he did do that for us. Our lives are lived differently because of what he's done. So are you spiritually blind? Are you walking in the light? We have to be honest with ourselves. Are there are dark spots that you've had. Have you veered off? Have you gone to the left or to the right? My first thing I want to do is I want to give you a chance, man. Listen, if you maybe you've been spiritually blind, all your, you just, you've never said yes to Christ. There's never been that illumination in your heart. Here's your opportunity, but if God's speaking to your heart, if today you've seen truth in a way, maybe you've never seen it because the light bulb came on and God made it real. And what I want to ask you to do, if you're here today and you would say yes to Jesus's invitation, 
You acknowledge that you've been in spiritual darkness. You acknowledge that your sin separated you from God. You acknowledge that you need someone to rescue you and you recognize that Jesus is that person and you say yes to him today. We give you that opportunity. This is how we do it here because we want to celebrate it with you. That's you and you know today's the day. God's spoken to your heart and you would say yes to his invitation for the first time. I'm going to ask you right where you are, would you stand to your feet? Let us acknowledge that. We want to celebrate it, man. This is one of the most awesome times that our church gets to celebrate is when we see people who say yes to God, yes to life, and they go from death to life in faith. So if that's you today, you'd say, man, I need that. I need the light of Christ in me. Would you stand? Is this then? Amen. Praise God. Billy, John, somebody. We just want to pray with you, brother. Amen. That's awesome right there, dude. to walk in darkness. God's made a way for us to walk in light. For seven minutes over, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. I'm praying. If there's a need you have in your life that you need to come and lay at the feet of Christ, and you come here, and maybe we need to put our hearts in this position that this man was in where we are bowing before him. Maybe there's a dark spot in your life. Maybe you're walking in darkness and you need to come walk into the light. And there's a course correction. It's called repentance. We turn from our sin and we turn to God and we begin to walk a different path. We begin to follow him because of his grace. Not, we listen, we don't do things for God so we can earn his grace. We do what we do for God because of his grace in our life. Maybe we forgot that. Maybe we need to come today. I'm going to pray while I'm praying. You need to come and you need to pray. You come down here. Let's, let's get with God. My prayer is that everybody would come because we all need this. But if not, when I say amen, you're dismissed. We'll leave and we'll come back. We'll do it again next week. But between now and then, let's live for God and let's get after it. Let's live and walk in the light. Jesus, I thank you for your love for us, your grace, the power of who you are. I thank you, God, that you love us enough to call us into the light, that you came for us. You initiated this relationship, Jesus. It's nothing that we could have done to got to where we need to be, and yet you brought us there yourself. God, it's out of that grace that you've given. It's out of worship and just seeing your goodness that we want to follow. God, just move us. Break us of our pride, even our spiritual pride. Don't let us settle for tradition, but let us walk in the power of your gospel, the power of Christ, the power of the Spirit. God, we love you and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name.